you know, dealing with those types of things. It even went into grad school, and then by the time I got my PhD, I had someone tell me that um, the only reason I was in the PhD program was because I was working for the institution that was running the program. And I said, no, actually, I got the GRE score, and I had that, right? And so it was always this constant <coughs> um, proving to people that I belonged or that I should be in school. And so I, I started thinking to myself, man, you know, and as an older person, because I got my PhD when I was in my 40s, so I'm dating myself, right? But um, I thought, how, it's hard for me as like a fully grown person. What is this like for someone who's 18 coming into college, someone who is struggling with their own identity, someone who's leaving home for the first time, and this is super, super hard, I can imagine, right? Because it being so much, so much challenging for someone so much older, how, how does it feel for a young person? And that, all of that then kind of made me say, you know what? I can probably help. I can probably do something about that, and it just sort of became part of my passion. And so that's a long story, but okay, yeah. So right I, I was listening to what you were saying. So yeah. being a part of a black family like I am, it's like, when did you start talking about racism? Because I know it's like in our families they don't really want to talk about it, or in minority families, yeah. period, you don't want to talk about that because you don't want your kids to experience that. So when did you start like talking in my about family? It? Mm -hmm. So, my family didn't really talk about it. Um, the first time it ever came up was when I was experiencing some racism in school, you know, being called the N-word and things like that from people who I thought were my friends and actually were my friends, people I was hanging out with, and then there was this weird shift where they just started kind of ganging up on me because of my race. And so let me say this, the um, neighborhood I grew up in, or the neighborhood that I went to school in was predominantly white, and I went to a private school, and. Um, the only black people in the school were like my family members. So it was me, my sister, and my cousins, and we were the only black people in the school. So that was hard in and of itself. And so the racism, I was a target for racism in um, elementary school. And so I, it went on for a couple of years, and I eventually told my mother about it. And she, it was the first conversation we had ever had about racism. And she just basically said to me, um, the reason, and whether this is true or not, I don't know, but it was what I needed to hear. She said, the reason that they're making fun of you, the reason that they're picking on you is because they're jealous. And I was just like, what? And she said, think about it. She says, they're laying out in the sun to, get, to make their skin darker, but yet they're making fun of you because you have darker skin. And I thought about it, and I said, eh, that makes sense. And so it gave me kind of a sense of, I guess, pride. And so I went back to school, and then one of the kids said something really stupid. Um, and it was the first time that I stood up for myself. I, I said something back, and it surprised them. And she was just like, what? And then someone else said something, and I said something back, and they were like, what? And then it just stopped. They just stopped doing it because they were doing it, as an older person, I can look back and see that they were being kids and they were being mean. And they were enjoying being mean because it got a rise out of me. It would make me upset. And so when they realized that it no longer made me upset, they just said, ah, it's not fun anymore. I'm not gonna do it anymore, and then it went away. And then believe it or not, we actually then became friends again and maintained friendships throughout elementary school, and some of them I have on Facebook <laughs> now as, as adults, which is interesting. Okay, um, yeah. yeah. I will say, I, I'll use the word microaggressions. Sure, and, and you experience that kind of just everywhere, just sort of being and, and then living. So the microaggressions are there. The microaggressions don't bother me as much. Um, macroaggressions certainly are a whole different story. Um, I think what's most painful for me is when I work with students who have experienced it. Um, because for a lot of them, you know, the University of Iowa should be their home while they're here. Um, many of them are living on campus, and even if they're not living on campus, they're taking part in the community. 
And for a lot of students, they don't feel that community here. Um, if they're minorities and they haven't tied into a particular community group. If they're going to class and they feel alienated in class, um, that's a problem. If they're going to class and there are professors saying inappropriate things that are making them uncomfortable, that's a problem and that happens too. And so it's really difficult sometimes, especially when we're dealing with rules and laws and things that are not in our control, right? And so if a professor chooses to use the N-word in class, which happens all the time, um, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. They have the right to do that. And it's unfortunate because it causes so much pain um, for students. Um, but then they're in my office and they're upset and they're crying and I'm trying to comfort them, but I can't go to the professor and say, you know, you're going to be fired if you, you stop this because they're not. Um, it's academic freedom and as long as they're using that word within the context of something they're teaching in class, they're free to just kind of say it um, despite the trouble that it causes some students who are hearing it. Um, okay. Yeah. So during your like upbringing or something, what would you say that you're most proud of, of yourself? Like what is your greatest accomplishment? It could be small, it could be big. Yeah, um, my greatest accomplishment I would say, so I should have been a statistic in the sense that my background is not one that should have you know, created someone who has a PhD and who, you know, I mean, these are words like stuff up in quotes, depending on what that means, right? Um, you know, my mom was a single mom and she was raising me and my sister and she was working like 16 hours a day, seven days a week, just trying to make money to send us to what she thought were the best schools, just trying to do the best for us and she didn't have to work that hard, you know, she could have sent us to public school, but she was just like, no, I need better for you, I want better for you and your sister and um, she sacrificed a lot for us. Um, I was not unaware of that sacrifice. Um, and I think because of that, it instilled in me the drive to not make that sacrifice in vain, if that makes sense. And she passed away actually my first year of college, my first year of undergrad. And that really should have been it for me, right? Because she was my only source of support, emotional support and also financial support, because my father wasn't in the picture. Um, but it wasn't, it made me more determined. And so I remember, so she passed away in April, I had exams in May. And I had to go home, so I left. I got the phone call, and I was like, oh my gosh. And you know, I had to leave. I told my RA, and, and my RA contacted all my professors, and I went home to deal with that for just a couple of weeks. And then maybe three weeks, and I came back, and I made arrangements to take all my exams. And so I came back and took all my exams and just kept going, and just kept going, and it didn't stop. Um, went right into my master's program three days after graduating with my bachelor's and just kept going and then worked for a few years, a few, a lot of years, and then started my PhD. And I think just that process, I'm extremely proud of. Um, it took a lot of resilience. And I'm proud of it because I think my mom would have been proud if she were still here, so. Okay. Yeah, the Caribbean, which is, it's my culture, but, you know, experiencing the Caribbean in different ways, the islands are all very different and the cultures are all sort of different. Um, there are more that I would love to experience, like I haven't had the chance to go to India and I would love that opportunity. Um, especially since recently I found out that my father's biological mother was from India and I didn't know that. Um, so the woman that raised him was a woman from Africa and so I always thought she was my biological grandmother and she was not. And so I learned that like as an adult and was like, now I really gotta go to India. So I just feel like there's a real reason but I haven't made it yet so hopefully I could take some time to make it there and um, yeah I like to travel and I love cultures and so I haven't experienced as much as I would like yeah
here actually my husband and I moved here from Louisville Kentucky and we got here actually on Labor Day and we started I started about two days after that so I just celebrated my two-year anniversary um, last month um, yeah, so I've been here two years. It took a while to get my kind of my feet wet, as they say, because I was new to Iowa, um, the state of Iowa. I'd never been to Iowa. The first time stepping foot in Iowa was for the interview, and so it was kind of an unknown, and it was just sort of a leap of faith, and so here we are. Um, and then also being new to not just the state, but the university, but then how things function, so organizationally and culturally, and just kind of absorbing all that. But I, I have to say that the University of Iowa is a wonderful institution and that I've been having mostly positive experiences with my colleagues and just with the position and so I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve the institution in the way that I've been. Okay, so, so what would you say your favorite place is to go around Iowa City? There is a, an antique mall and it's actually in um, Des Moines and it's called the Gold Armadillo and it's huge it's just as huge and so I just love antiques and I love antiquing and so I will we will go down there and just spend hours because you can spend hours you can spend a whole day there just going up and down and looking at the different things that they have on um, the vendors have um, I enjoy doing that I get lost I just get lost in that you know and it a lot of it reminds me of like my childhood because I see old, old toys and just kind of or things that reminds me oh my mom used to have one of those or my grandma you know and it just it's kind of a nice travel back in time sometimes to go, and so I like to do that. Um, in Iowa City, I like this Terry True Blood Park up here. There's like a trail that goes around the lake. Um, I like walking that trail. Um, it's peaceful, it's extremely peaceful, especially when it's not very really busy, and there's like mm -hmm. tons of people there. So do you think Iowa is a diverse, uh, uh, diverse university? No, I, I, it's not. Um, we're working on it. <laughs> You know, we're working on, this is the most diverse, the incoming fr freshman class, the cohort 27, 2017 is the most diverse that we've had historically, and that's mm -hmm. good, it's a good sign, but we're, we're not, yeah, you know, okay. we're not a diverse institution. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think the benefit of being a diverse and international school? The benefits? Um, the benefits of diversity, I think, really has to do more with globalization, right? Um, our world is changing, and our world is changing quickly. And I think if students come to college and they don't experience difference, and they don't experience people from different cultures and different backgrounds, then we're not really helping prepare them for the real world. Because they're going to be working in companies and organizations and wherever they're going off, whatever their jobs are, they're gonna be working with people, they're gonna have bosses who are not like them, they're gonna have colleagues who are not like them and they're going to have to learn clients who are not like them and they're going to have to know how to interact appropriately and be respectful of people's differences and it starts I mean it starts when they're young but it also happens here in college um, I hear a lot about what happens on the opposite end there are a lot of people that come to the University of Iowa and they're from small town Iowa and they've never experienced diversity and they go in the dorms and their roommate is Asian or their roommate is, is Latino or or black and they're like freaking out. They have no idea how to deal with that and it causes conflict and they're saying the wrong things and they're doing the wrong things and they're being inappropriate. And you're kind of like, like, when I hear that I'm like, ser like seriously, like you've never interacted with someone of color? And they're like, no. Like, no, they haven't. And so this is a learning experience for them. And could you imagine if they never had the opportunity to be a roommate with someone of color, they would never really learn 
how to interact or learn how to appreciate someone who's different from you. So we wanted to go into like our rant session. I have this pet peeve of people like, oh, like you have this hair and it's so nice. Like you can't be black. Have you ever experienced like when somebody tries to touch your hair and you're just like, okay, that's that's enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and the, the term they use is good. Do they still use that good hair term? Good hair. Good mm -hmm. hair, yeah. So, um, it was always, oh, you have such good hair. And I'm always kind of like, what does that mean? Um, so, it means more European looking hair, right? And so, there's always a colonization aspect of, of beauty and what's acceptable. Um, and yes, people do try to touch my hair. Normally, I don't mind if they ask, I let them. Can I touch your hair? I say, sure. <laughs> you know, and touch away, and they touch it, and then you get the various comments. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty typical. I don't take offense to it because I see it more as curiosity. If someone's curious, uh, maybe they've never interacted with a with a black person or never touched someone's hair, a black person's hair, and they just want to know and they're curious. I see that as actually a good thing if they ask. If someone just reaches out and does it, it's inappropriate. But if they ask, I'm like, absolutely, sure, let's educate you. It's, it's a moment of education. Right. And so I let them touch it. So I've been told I'm not really black. I've, I've gotten that a lot. Um, it, it's difficult sometimes because culturally, like the term black or blackness is so, is so vast, right? Because it depends. If you're from Africa, the countries you come from in Africa is going to dictate culture. If you're from the West Indies, the Caribbean, the islands, that's a different culture. If you're African-American, that's a different culture. If you're Cuban, Brazilian, all different cultures, but they're all black people, right? And so there seems to be this one definition of blackness that doesn't make sense because it doesn't incorporate everyone's different cultures and subcultures in that black diaspora. Um, so for me, it was always, um, you talk white, I've heard that, you know, you talk white, okay. Um, you know, um, because I didn't wear my hair like in twists or, or you, know, you know, it's like, you're trying to be white and like, no, like, you know what I mean? It, it, it was always this pressure almost to conform to something that I just wasn't. And then not conforming to that meant that you weren't black, right? And so that was always a challenge. And so sometimes the challenge is just being authentically who you are. Um, my family is mixed. You know, um, and so there is some, um, I don't know if insight is the right word, um, maybe some difference, I guess, in how I was brought up because my family is mixed, right? My, my grandmother was biracial. My, my father's father was from Scotland, so he's white, you know, but then I have this African grandmother. I, my, my mother is, so culturally we're Jamaican because we were raised in Jamaica. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in our family and it's it's beautiful. Oh, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's absolutely beautiful, but it, it causes some conflict mm -hmm. at times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was college, undergrad. Um, there was a party that was being held and it was something like Ham Hock and Greens was the name of it or something like that. And I was really embarrassed because I had no idea <laughs> what the Hamlin Greens were. So I went to the party. So I made a group of friends, but they were all from the Caribbean. Like one was from Trinidad and one was from um, Grenada. And and so we went to this party, and it was it was steeped in African American culture. And so I was just like, I'm really like, I don't say Hamlin. We were just like, what's a Hamlin? I'm like, I don't know. Let's figure. It. But we learned. So we went and we learned and we met like wonderful people and, and made made new friends. Or I just probably what I was talking about where blackness is so different and the cultures are so different and got immersed in a different type of black culture. And then I said, heck, now I know what a ham hock is, and now I know what greens are, but I had no idea. 
like I had absolutely no idea. Did you at least get a chance to taste it? I did, I did. So we had the food, and that was the idea. They were serving ham hock and greens, and so they called it the ham, ham hock and greens, and there was music and, you know, alcohol and all kinds of other things. But, yeah, I had a ham hock and greens. And the funny thing was the greens, then I made a connection. So we have greens in Jamaica, we just don't call them greens, right? So I was like, oh, greens, yeah, I get it, right? But it's kalalo. In Jamaica, it's Kalalo, but it's it's greens. It was just a different name for the same thing. So I came out of there learning something, too. It was good. Okay, yeah. that's great. Thank you so much for interviewing with us. We had a great time with you. Oh, well, thank you. And we hope to talk to you again. Absolutely. Yeah.